This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. Hello and welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Kathy Reid. And I'm Scarlett Maltman. And today we are joined by ballet dancer Gavin McCaig. Gavin is currently touring with Northern Ballet and has been a company dancer since 2014. And he's now a coreographer with the company. And we are so honoured to have caught up with him in between his busy schedule. Welcome, Gavin. Thank Hi, you for ladies. joining us. Hello. How are you today? Really good. How are you both? I'm well. Good. Very well. Quite an early one. For those who can't see Gavin, he has sat literally like in the perfect turnout on his chair. It's amazing. It's amazing. It. <laughs> so, Gavin, we always start with a word association game. Okay. So, the first thing that comes into your head, are you ready? I'll give it a go. Here we go. You'll like the first one. Crocs. Nasty. <laughs> Mental health. Important. Foam roller. Helpful. Nutella. Not my thing. London. Chaos. Christmas trifle. No from me. <laughs> Bally. Love. So Gavin, we always start at the very beginning. Can you chat to us where it all began for you and what led you into the ballet world? Absolutely. So um, I didn't start ballet until later, actually. Um, A lot of kids tend to start it quite young. Um, Their parents put them into ballet class or whatever. But I just went to a normal local dance school um, from about the age of six or seven because my best friend across the road who was uh, a female a little girl and we were just joint at the hip basically and her mum was an ex-professional dancer and more commercially Mm -hmm. um, but she immediately realized that I loved moving to music and I was a bit of a personality I suppose so she said oh you need to go to the dancing so the dancing, the dancing. <laughs> so she took me down to the dancing um, and I have very clear vivid memories of that first time going into the dancing hall and starting to move to music with you know a room full of ladies yeah. um, and I just loved it I absolutely loved it it was freedom it was joy it was everything you want as a kid really um, and so it continued from there I kept going to the dancing yeah. um, for years and years and eventually you know found a real love and passion for it um, that led my teacher to saying okay I think you should go in addition for something a bit more serious mm. um, which was the Dance School of Scotland in Glasgow whoop, whoop. Um, so that sounded like a huge thing to me I wasn't sure Um, if it was right I I would have to move away from my family Um, but I always felt quite independent from a young age so I thought okay maybe I'll give this a go Um, but I had never really done ballet before so I had the usual sort of oh mum I don't know if I can do this I don't know if that's a bit she said no let's go for it so my parents took me into Glasgow did the audition it was super ballet Um, everyone was there in their ballet outfits you know they were all junior associates or whatever with Scottish ballet and I remember just thinking oh my goodness I don't have a hope in hell of getting a place and then of course you know I got the call back and then I went to the final edition did it and got the place um which at the time was mind-blowing because 
having coming out the audition and just cried in the car to my mum and dad like oh I didn't have the right outfit on and you know because I was in little sports shorts and a t-shirt you know um I thought oh, I've, I've not got a chance but you know um it all worked out and at the age of 12 I moved into Glasgow and started my vocational training um and totally fell in love with ballet um because it's a very special art form um and just fell in love with everything about it you know the discipline required um the routine um that sort of always striving for perfection Mm. I think that's a really beautiful thing about being a human being we're all always striving to be better and Bali is one of those places that you can do that on a daily basis so yeah, I just fell in love with it. That's amazing. Um, and you joined the Dance School of Scotland at the very young age of 12. Yeah. Can you chat to us what this type of environment was like at such a young age? So it was um, really special, actually. Um, when I look back on Dance School of Scotland, this might not be everyone's sort of memory of it, but from what I gather, it's most people's. Um, It's a very, very special place. Um, I mean, you'll agree, but we... Kathy was there in spirit. (laughs) Yeah, there in spirit. (laughs) Um, It it just... I don't know what it is about that place. It seems to attract not only very special kids and individuals with talent and drive, but also amazing staff and mentors, because that's what they were. They were amazing mentors, And I really felt like it is obviously a bit of a bubble, as every vocational school can be, but it was just a special place that allowed me to come into my own in terms of realising what I wanted to go on and do. Um, You had the opportunity to express yourself, to, to really learn that classical technique, which then allowed you to go and audition in your fourth year or your fifth year for more serious vocational training down in London or elsewhere um, so yeah I just I loved everything about it I mean it was intense yeah. and living away from home had its challenges and I did miss my family um, but as I said I was always quite independent from a young age so I really tried to embrace it um, but I was lucky to be in a year group that had amazing people around me some of whom as we were chatting about, are still sort of really close, lifelong friends. So for me, I just had the best time and um, didn't really have any sort of trouble in terms of looking after myself or anything like that. That didn't come until a little bit later. Okay. And you went to, where did you go after? You went to? Uh, English National Ballet English School. English National Ballet oh. It's a proper That's ballerina. Amazing, Love absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Bali has uh, quite a lot of stigma and stereotypes uh, surrounding mental health. Can you chat to us about the stigma that surrounds it and what these stereotypes are? Absolutely. So, um, definitely growing up, um, when not even just with Bali, but in terms of being a boy who danced, you know, I'm from Motherwell and boys don't dance really Um, and very much up there in some parts of Scotland and indeed throughout the country people aren't exposed to the arts or different ways of life in the the way they are 
in big cities like London or Leeds or Manchester. And, you know, for a young boy going out into the street to play with my, my pals, the older boys just ripped it out of me. I mean, ripped it out of me to a point where I actually phoned my dance teacher when I was super young one day and I said, I can't come back anymore. I've just had enough. I don't want to be going to school and having everyone call me Angelina Ballerina or whatever. Um, so it really did get to me at one point. But, you know, after two weeks of not going to the dancing, um, I just thought, oh my goodness, I can't live without this. Um, which is how most kids who have been bitten by that dancing bug feel about it. And I went back. But in terms of the what I got back from my peers from a very young age was dancing's not for boys. And that is that stigma is still there, you know. We've seen even recently in the media Prince George. With yeah. Prince George and all of that. And it is sad because it's just sad to see that there's still such a huge um part of the population that can't just be open to the idea that as human beings we should be able to go and actively do whatever we want to do if we love it um and if it's not hurting anyone you know um so that was sad and it's still really prevalent today that those views are held but i think it's just important that as the dance community showed we push back and say no boys can dance too and this is an amazing pursuit that kids can go into and not only become you know top level athletes but incredible individuals who go on to contribute to not only the arts and cultural sector but the economy their families their friends they they become rounded human beings Um, and that's what the arts does for people as well you know you must inspire so many young people as well that come and see the shows I would hope so I really hope so I mean we do a lot of performing um, and we get a lot of a lot of young people come to see our shows um, so I do hope that they come and they see boys dancing mm. and go oh I want to dance or I want to give that a try and I'm sure they would be met by you know a bit yeah. of stigma and a bit of stereotype but hopefully they would push through that adversity yeah. and go on to do whatever they wanted to do. Absolutely. How do you think we combat that stigma? It's hard. Um, I mean, I guess it's people have been trying to combat it for a very long time. You know, like a film like Billy Elliot mm-hmm. had, you know, who doesn't know that film? It had such huge repercussions for everyone um, in terms of seeing what goes into it and you know the struggle of working class families mm. of putting their kids getting their kids to ballet school or whatever um so i think as long as we keep trying to mitigate that taboo around not just boys dancing but in general that the arts are airy fairy mm. they are not airy fairy they are an amazing sort of group of pursuits that push individuals to being their best and I think that's what we need to tell kids. If you want to pursue a career in the arts, it is going to be really, really fulfilling. Absolutely. Um, and I guess all we can do is talk about it, you know, shout about it, shout about the benefits of the arts mm. um, and how 
beautifully they can affect kids. Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the first things that people might think of when it comes to ballet is kind of beautiful dancing, like the very um, very stereotypical body image of what you see um, on, on dancers. Um, how pressuring is body image in the ballet industry? Ooh, big one. So um, body image is huge. There's no, there's no kind of way of getting around it. You know, in terms of if you want to go into a career in classical dance, your body is your instrument. Yeah. yeah? It has to be absolutely fine-tuned. And to achieve um, that sort of high-level classical technique that is required to get a job at a big company in the UK or Europe or wherever, um, it has to be sort of cultivated from a young age. And that's why, as I mentioned earlier, kids do train from such a young age. Mm. It is to achieve that muscle tone and that sort of facility that looks so refined and so beautiful on stage. Um, I actually had the pleasure of catching the Royal Ballet in Concerto two nights ago. And just to see the principles of the Royal Ballet in that ballet, which is so technical and so refined um, it is the epitome of athletes mm. and that is essentially what you're striving for from a very young age to achieve that, to get your body to that point so you do have to be so physically fit um, I think in the past though the wrong sort of message has been given across because mental health wasn't a thing Nobody was talking about it. Nobody was really thinking about it or considering what was happening in people's minds when they were hearing such negative sort of feedback about themselves. Um, so it was all about low-fat this and, oh, you shouldn't be eating that. You should only be, whatever, drinking coffee and having an apple, you know. Whereas nowadays, I mean, there's been a, a huge shift towards pushing good, wholesome foods and nutrition lectures in school. And when you start vocational training, you are immediately put into that nutrition lecture, um, being told what to eat, when to eat it, being told about looking after yourself and all that. So it is much better than it was, um, but it's just important that kids understand that what you put in really does affect everything mm. now and later. Um, I mean, I feel if my diet gets bad for a week or a few days, I'll have a few days afterwards. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you physically can't do your best. Um, so it is important that what people are putting in is really good stuff um, and that their bodies look sort of absolutely gorgeous and at mm. peak fitness. It's just when, when it shifts and it goes unhealthy, it goes to the other end of the scale, that's when it becomes difficult and we need to really be able to sit down with people, you know, as whatever leaders in the arts or directors or choreographers, sit down with people and say, are you all right? You know, is, is everything good? Are you having enough to eat? Are you looking after yourself? And I think very often people are scared to do that or... Mm -hmm. You know, as friends, perhaps, we're afraid to approach yeah. 
those around us mm. and say, you're doing all right, like, how's, how's it going? Are you, are you looking after yourself? Are you mm. putting in the right stuff? Um, because I have seen throughout my years in training and now performing quite a few people who have had trouble with, you know, under-eating. Um, because, you know, people want their body to be absolutely incredible. It's just when it goes to that other side of the scale that it gets really difficult mm. and we need to address that yeah. and make sure that, you know... Do, yeah. do you think there's a miscommunication um, for the kind of younger generation when you kind of first start out about, you know, the body image? Because like you said there, like, you're a top athlete, so obviously, you know, you're you're working to have that athletic body. Do you think there's a miscommunication about, you know okay, a ballet, a ballet dancer, a professional ballet dancer looks like this, okay, they look amazing and they're, they're, they're slim, okay, therefore I have to be slim rather than I am working to be an athlete and, you know, Gavin has this body and physique because he's a top athlete. Do you, do you, think, that, do you think that's... So I think ev- everything you're saying there is, is really relevant and I do wonder how well that message is addressed but I think now it we have got it to a point where we are addressing young people in a way that we are conscious of their mental health and conscious of the implications that a simple sentence towards a young person can have, yeah. not just for their short term, but for their the rest of their life. Um, so ex- exactly as you're saying, kids should be working towards becoming athletes, becoming the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Because everyone's body is different, is hugely different. I remember, you know, when I first went to dance school of Scotland, um, I had started growing up much quicker than all the other boys. And I was head and shoulders above them. I was getting hair on my chest, hair under my armpits. I felt like an absolute giant. And they were all much smaller in the first years, anyway. Much smaller than me, skinnier. And I st- immediately, you know, you start to think, oh, is, is my body right? Because growing up as a young person, you are constantly mm-hmm. assessing yourself, you know, all the way through until whenever in your life. But you're constantly assessing yourself and going, oh, do I look right in the mirror? Because, you know, ballet studios are covered in mirrors. Yeah, you are literally looking at yourself all day, mm-hmm. And going, oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's not right. So it's just important that, as you say, everyone's working towards being healthy and, well, just being athletes and healthy and feeding their body the energy it needs because the days are so intense from a young age. Like, kids are training from super early in the morning till whatever, six, seven at night, sometimes later, six days a week. Um, It is full on. There's no doubt about that. And if people aren't putting food into their bodies, their bodies can't sort of meet the demands of the training, which is huge. Absolutely, absolutely. Food is fuel. Food is fuel, Cathy, yeah. That's what I'm having at the moment. I'm eating what I want. I'm doing the marathon next year, so I'm eating what I want. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah, she's doing a marathon. Food is fuel. I can't eat nothing doing the marathon. Can you imagine? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd like collapse, but I wouldn't get to the finish line. You will. You (laughs) You will. will. You absolutely will. (laughs) So, Gavin, can you chat to us about your experiences with mental health? Yes. So, um, I, as I said, had a fab time at Dance School Scotland. 
Um, and then got this place at English National Ballet School. Wow, you know, couldn't believe it. Um, moved down to London to live in a flat with, luckily, um, a very close friend, Jonathan, who um, also got a place at English National Ballet School at the same time, so we moved down together, which was, you know, really lucky that I had that. Um, and, you know, I was 18 and you moved down to London and you're in a flat with your best friend, yeah, but you're on your own. And London is a huge city. It is chaos, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> In my opinion, it's absolute chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a young person, you know, you've got so much going on. Everything's happening. Huge seismic change in your life. You're starting this intense vocational training at a prestigious school. Um, it's all kicking off. And you're just expected to respond to that. Um, and for the first few months, I think I did quite well. Um, we were getting up at the crack of dawn and getting to school for eight o'clock to warm up. And then from half past eight until seven o'clock at night, we were training our bodies six days a week. And that's full on. And for the first few months, you know, you're it's all new to you and you're just sort of living on a high. And then assessments started because assessments are a huge part as we all know Mm -hmm. of vocational training fair fair enough um and my hips started to get sore and it was funny because when i was at dance school scotland injuries were like oh i've got a sore foot or something and you know your kids it's sore finger (laughs) yeah it's not always serious um so my hips started getting sore and i thought what a strange place to get something sore you know why is my hip sore and so I attended physio and stuff and basically over the course of a few weeks it went from being I've got a sore hip to sitting down with a physiotherapist and a specialist doctor on Harley Street saying you need a hip arthroscopy Um, and that was that's that's a huge amount of information to digest particularly when you know, I'd only been doing ballet for about four and a half years um, and I knew the minute I started it that my body wasn't quite built for it in terms of being super flexible and what we would call facilitated. Um, so it was always a bit of a challenge, but never could I have expected to be sitting down three months into my vocational training and being told that I needed a hip operation. I mean, what what 18-year-old is prepared for that? So... Basically, after sitting down with the doctor, um, he said, I actually have an appointment on Tuesday, which was like four days later. So, you know, within the space of a week, I had gone from having a sore hip to lying in a hospital bed, having had a hip operation, unable to walk. So that's, you know, that's huge. And looking back, it almost makes me laugh that (laughs) that that all happened and... um, that I coped with it, I guess. Um, And, you know, luckily my parents took time off of work one at a time and both came down because I couldn't walk. I couldn't, like, get in and out the the shower to wash myself and stuff. So they did a huge amount for me, which I'm so grateful for. Um, And the school were amazing. Um, 
it was yeah it was rough but I did have the support I felt like I did have that support around me but you know that was my first sort of introduction to I'm injured I can't train you know you're you're immediately your mind just goes oh god you know I'm missing out on this I'm missing out on that everyone else is going to be getting better and I'm lying here I can't even walk never mind pirouette um so you start to get all those feelings and anxiety that surrounds being off and being injured but I did come back and I came back stronger after 10 weeks um I did had a huge rehabilitation program. Um, I actually went back up to Scotland once I could walk again. And over the course of 10 weeks, I went to the gym twice a day and rehabilitated my hip, um, which is huge because it's a quite an important part of your body. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really wanted to make sure that going forward, it wasn't going to be a problem for me, which, touch wood, it hasn't been. Um, so that was my first sort of introduction to that. But sadly, the injuries continued. Mm. Um, the training is super intense. And as I said, my body's not great, really. Um, so throughout the course of the next two years, I had several stress responses, which is verging on a stress fracture, um, but not quite. And then eventually I had two stress fractures. Um, because, you know, you'll have a sore foot, but you'll think, okay, I'm not going to say anything and, you know, it might go away and mm. you're sort of just trying to look after it and maybe ice it. But eventually with um, my foot, I got to a point at a summer school, which I had got a, a scholarship for. I'd been pushing through the whole two weeks and eventually I got to a point where I could barely walk. And I thought, this isn't right. You need to do something about this. But I had another summer school the next week for the company that I wanted to then go on and get a job at, Northern Valley, which... He did. Luckily, <laughs> luckily I did. But, you know, that was going to be my sort of place to show myself at the summer school. How how could I not just push through this, you know? So I got to, I got to Northern Summer School and I said, oh, my... My foot's a little bit sore. I think at that point, actually, I'd seen a doctor or a physio and they'd said, oh, sounds like a, a stress fracture. Da, 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 da. Um, so I said, oh, I think I've got a stress response or a stress fracture, but I'm going to do a few days of the summer school. <laughs> to which, you know, Yoko, the um, rehearsal director and ballet mistress, said, you're absolutely not. Get off your <laughs> yeah. foot, please. Um, because obviously when you dance on an injury like that, it can become chronic yeah, and you can get some real problems. So anyway, I didn't get to participate in the summer school at all. Um, but I did go back to school um, for my graduate year in a boot. Um, so that that was really rough. And I think having that sort of punch down every few months of various injuries, I went into my graduate year feeling quite sort of disappointed in myself disappointed in the situation that surrounded my training because you know three years might sound like a long time um to kids going into school but once you get into school you realize oh gosh this is thick and fast and it goes quick so I thought oh gosh I've missed so much time so much training um so I just got myself into a real rut 
and I remember, you know, just sitting constantly in ice, literally Gavin on ice, um, for for months, um, and just feeling so let down, essentially, by the situation. And I did eventually get myself to a point where I was so unhappy. And obviously, when you're growing up, you have feelings of unhappiness, you know, we all do, and you have things that happen to you, and you think they seem huge at the time or whatever, But I think so much had happened over a period of time that I'd got myself into this place where it wasn't healthy anymore. And I've always been that kind of guy who, luckily, I've always been sort of amazed by life, you know? Like, walking along the street, I love nature. I'd always be like, oh my God, that's a beautiful building, or oof, that tree is beautiful, you know? Or wow, that was such a nice evening last night with my friends, you know, things like that. But I'd got myself to this place where I I couldn't do that anymore. I wasn't sitting on the bus looking out the window going, oh, wow, I'm in London, this is amazing. You know, wow, that tree's amazing. I was going, oh, my God, I hate myself. I hate this situation. I don't want to go to school. I don't want anyone to see me. I don't want to be sitting watching my colleagues train for the next eight hours while I'm sitting icing my foot. So, you know, I I identified eventually, you're not well. And at ENB school, we had some incredible women at that time who were on the management team. Um, And they had an open door policy. They talked about it a lot you could go in and speak to them. And the director at the time, Samira Saidi, I always felt so open to her. She was just such an amazing woman. I think I was always quite inspired by her. And I just went into her office one day and I said, I just really don't think I'm very well. And, you know, sort of had a breakdown and really opened up about it. Um, Instead of just, you know, sitting in my flat on my own Um, because by that point of course in my graduate year I had decided that I had to live alone I wanted my own apartment a studio apartment which obviously in retrospect that was a terrible decision Mm. um, because I no longer had my best friend next to me Um, I had no one I was going home at night to an empty flat and you know sitting on my own thinking that that was somehow going to be better for me but anyway I opened up to her and essentially the support network that the school had fired up and the school um, got me appointments with a psychologist and that was amazing, you know? I couldn't have done without that. And I did get better and my foot got better and I went on to um, join Scottish Valley for their Christmas season for three or four weeks. Um, and perform Hansel and Gretel, which was a huge opportunity, which then led me into sort of the end of my graduate year where I was auditioning and subsequently I got a job at Northern Bali, which is what every kid going to Bali school wants. You know, you want to come out of school and get a job and go straight into that professional contract and year of huge learning curve and just being immersed immediately in touring and performing and rehearsing. So it all worked out, but there was a huge chunk of my training where 
mental health really was a big thing for me that I had to navigate. Um, and it will be different for everyone. Um, but I definitely was quite lucky in the sense that I had those amazing women at the school um, that I could open up to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both di- we had two female directors at the time. We had Samira, um, who was essentially their artistic director. We had Elizabeth, who was student support. Claire, you know, just the whole administrative team was incredible. And mm-hmm. I don't think I could have done it without them. Not to mention, obviously, all the ballet teachers who are part-time ballet teachers, part-time psychologists. Mm-hmm. Honestly, these teachers in these vocational schools are incredible. The job they do, the amount of care they have for their students it is really phenomenal. And that is the thing I love most about this industry. It attracts people who are passionate about not only doing a good job, but supporting those around them. And obviously the teachers working in these schools are cultivating kids from grassroots. And that's really important that that support is there. So today I am in the King Manual Therapy Clinic in Covent Garden with the wonderful Stephen King himself and he has been conducting some new research which he's going to tell us about and it's absolutely fascinating. Stephen, take it away. Okay, thanks Cathy. So I had a question which is, is Singer's acid reflux really what we think it is? And I think the answer is no, because over a five-week trial period, 100% of the subjects have been cured of their symptoms of acid reflux. I mean, you can see the graph here they can't it's a good graph am i right i can see the graph and it's a great (laughs) graph so we put together a successful treatment protocol to alleviate the symptoms of singer's acid reflux and for now it's working in 100 percent of cases whoop whoop And where can people find out more about the research that you have conducted? So I'm in the process of presenting it and publishing it next year at the World Voice Teachers Expo and hopefully at the BVA. And this work is going to be written up into a paper and published by me. So look out on social media, that kind of thing. But I'll be posting screenshots and stuff all the time. So make sure you check it out 2020. It'll be properly published and it's very, very interesting. So thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me in the clinic again. Thanks, Cathy. If you'd like to book in with Stephen or one of the team at King Manual Therapy, go to kingmanualtherapy.com where you can find all the options. I think it's so inspiring as well because, you know, having you spoke about your injury and, you know, you, you having that realisation, I'm not well, I need help. Because, you know, to, to break down the barriers and get to that next point, you have to be willing to, you know, to be challenged and to, to really get through that difficult time. You can't just, you know walk into a room and, and put up a wall, you really have to be open to it. I think that's incredible that you came to that realisation and just went, this is what I, I have to do. I think, yeah, I think it had got to a point where I I had to, do you know what I mean? Mm. I knew it was, it was make or break. I had to open up and go, okay, you're not well. These feelings are no longer conducive of a healthy Gavin, a healthy young man who wants to be a professional dancer. Um, and go, okay, you need to reach out and get some help. But, you know, not everyone does that. That's the problem. People don't always feel comfortable enough to do that, you know. They don't want to look, like, weak or, you know, all of those things that surround stigmas, Mm. that surround mental health. Um, And, you know, very often 
people who can't open up or seek help eventually end up, you know, not being able to reach the places they want to reach or get into where they want to get because they have to give up or after a few years of dancing professionally, it, it all becomes too much, um, which is really sad, which is why what you ladies are doing with this podcast and in general, this new movement in the arts mm. to sort of get mental health out there, get people talking about it, it's really important. Yeah. And it's important from such a young age Absolutely. that people feel comfortable enough to go, do you know what? I need some help today yeah. and I'm going to reach out because that can only have positive implications. Yeah, absolutely. That ties nice into my next question as well. Um, So 96% of professional dancers will experience a significant injury. um, And obviously that links into mental health issues. And as we briefly just spoke about, you know, if you do suffer from an injury, you will go and get physiotherapy, you'll see doctors, but mental health support may not be tied into that. Yeah. why specifically do you think that is the case in the Bali world? So, I think that, I guess, because the the problem, so you get an injury, it's a problem, right? It's a physical problem. So, I think for a long time people just thought, okay, let's fix the physical problem. But obviously now we know that so much of that physical problem, and in some cases, the the sort of reason for having the physical problem can be psychological. And there is a huge amount of psychology surrounding injury, recovery from injury. So you're right, that's not often offered alongside that sort of... Um, package of... Package, <laughs> yeah. And you're right, it absolutely should be. Um, As I say, I think more and more now, in recent years, schools are realising how important this is um, and doing a much better job at ensuring that the kids have that support. Um, But you're right, I guess, psychology is a huge part of the recovery and should be packaged alongside that physical recovery. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know why for so long it wasn't. I yeah, guess... It just wasn't. It's just society, about it, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah. Even, even the fact that you... Uh, I mean, I'm assuming this was a, your last year of training, maybe 2013, last year of training? Oof, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, the fact that you were able to seek help during that time when in society mental health wasn't even spoken about that much just shows like how far we're coming with it and with like in educational establishments and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to manage pressure in the ballet world? You know, from social media to additions to self-esteem, there must be a lot of pressure to succeed in the ballet world. Yes. So it is a hothouse. Um, the ballet world is so intense and there's just no getting around that. It really is. Mm. Um, from the minute you have vocational training at age 12 or sometimes earlier it is full on Um, I think the biggest thing for me always and I see it so very often even now you know in my professional career um, 
you see young people or young adults not able to find that balance between their life, their normal life, and their vocation. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the time that can come from parents. It can come from teachers. And yes, we must encourage our kids. And at times we we should push our kids um, or our our, um, pupils. But what's so important is that we make sure they know that they're also young people. They're kids. They should be enjoying their normal life too. They should be out with their friends. They should be going to the cinema. And I think right up to your professional career, you need to be able to find the balance um, between work and your uh, your vocation and your life. Because otherwise it does become overwhelming. It absolutely becomes overwhelming. I mean, the job, once you become a professional and you move into a company, I mean, Northern Valley tours the, the country for about two thirds of the year and we're performing anything between five and seven full-length productions, mixed programs, choreographic labs, you know, aside from all the stuff that surrounds that, your daily training, mm. keeping your physique in check, physio, um, Pilates, whatever, cross-training, um, it is a huge job, and you need to be able to switch off from that. Yeah. And I've always felt very strongly that having things outside of my job have only allowed me to be a better person in my job and informed being an artist, informed what I'm doing on stage and the way I interact with my colleagues in the studio in a rehearsal, the way I interact with the choreographer, the director or the staff in the communications team, you know, like we need to remember that Yes, it's a vocation and it's one which we need to put our heart and soul into if we want to make the art beautiful and be the best we can be. But we're also human beings and, you know, we like to do other stuff (laughs) and it will help. You know, leading figures in the dance world have said time and time again, you need to go out and experience life. So if you've never gone and travelled or you've never gone and, you know, kissed your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're not going to be able to come on stage and, you know, act as if you're in a piazza in Rome or, you know, kiss Romeo or kiss Juliet with a real level of emotional integrity, you know? Mm. It's going to be... It's going to be your idea of it, which, you know, it needs to be. But if you go out and experience life in all of its beautiful, multifaceted amazingness, you're going to be able to come on stage and be uh, the best you can be, I think. So it's important that we make sure that people find that balance and continue to enjoy being a human being outside of this beautiful art form. I feel like you do have it sounds like you do have a good balance of it as yeah, well yeah you though. did because like you're you're, say, you're saying I try yeah, I no, try you do. so I, I kind of want to know like your 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 top tips and like your kind of mental and physical health top tips how do you keep on top of that with such a busy schedule 
So I want to be super honest with you both. Do it. I <laughs> am rubbish sometimes at looking after myself. Aren't we all though? And we all can be. Um, but I think that with you know the demands of my job can be huge. But I also do love doing lots of things outside. I love teaching. I love working with young people. Amazing. I love working with adults as well. Um, I teach um, amateur adult dancers sometimes. Yeah. On We run some adult ballet retreats. They are incredible individuals. Um, it's hugely inspiring. So all of those things I do. I also write sometimes. Um, and sometimes I take on a little bit too much. It's always been in my nature to do so. I thrive off of being busy and pushing myself. But sometimes I do get a little bit, you know, okay, Gavin, slow down. Um, I started a financing business course in January and it has been, without a doubt, the hardest 11 months of my life, without a doubt. Um, it has been very, very difficult to sort of structure my days in a way that allows me to get some real productive, good studying done in the morning before my day starts and then do my day of rehearsals, performances, whatever. So it has been really tough and I have throughout the year had to take a few weeks off of my course, which luckily it's flexible and I'm allowed to do. Um, but there has been several times in the last 11 months that I have gone, whoa, slow down, Gav, um, and had a few days to myself. Luckily, I have a super supportive uh, fiancé who means the world to me and helps me out a great deal when I need it, um, and a super supportive network of family and amazing friends that just mean the world to me and are a huge sort of beacon of light and love when I need it most. Yes. Um, but yeah, I have been a bit rubbish at it um, for the last seven months. So I am constantly endeavouring to give myself a bit more self-care now and then. Yes. Um, but yeah, I just think being able to switch off, as I said before, have a day on a Sunday or whatever of going okay, I'm going to leave my phone on my bedside table. I'm not going to respond to all these notifications, WhatsApps, <laughs> emails, Instagrams. I'm going to try and switch off. I'm going to go to the cinema with the person I love. I'm going to go for a nice lunch. We're going to go for a walk in the park because it's autumn and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things that I think we're all starting to realise are very important yeah. for our health. Um and just make time for them and really make time for it. You know, say tomorrow morning, I'm going to chill out in bed and read my book for half an hour, or I'm going to go for a coffee on my own and have some me time and allowing yourself to realize that you need that time and you need that space. Um, So yeah, I think it's just about making the time and making it happen, which is not easy when we're all running around headless chickens exactly (laughs) like headless chickens which has been me for the last three days in london but this weekend i'm having some relax it's me every day running 
I loved what you said about the adult um, teaching that you do. Um, I seen on the news a couple of months ago, was it, it was um, a study that was done, was it with, um, with dementia? Yeah. And they, they took ballet um, and the, the kind of health benefits of dance were, were just incredible. Yeah. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but... Um, they definitely did something. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it, it just so sounded sweet. incredible. Yeah. So men, like in terms of mental health, dance. Oh yeah, must. it's beneficial. Yeah. I mean, as you say, um, I think you're referring to the Dance for Parkinson's program. Yes, that's it. So dance that's, for Parkinson's program, not yeah. Yeah, so that role has rolled out pretty widely across the UK now. Um, I think English National Valley were the first company to sort of wow. build that from grassroots, but it's an incredible um program. Actually, my London flatmate Jonathan's did a big um, dissertation on that for his graduate wow. year. Um, it is an incredible programme and they basically realised how amazing dance can be for people with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and the benefits it can have for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, it has benefits for everyone. I mean, aside from the physical fitness side of it, it's just such a great way of sort of switching off from the outside world. And, you know, really focusing in and being quite present, Mm -hmm. being present and realising what your body's doing and moving to music, you know, all those incredible things um, can be so good for us. So, yeah, but our um, retreats that we run are fabulous. Our adult dancers are incredible. Um, And, yeah, we've got one coming up, but it's super sold out. They they tend to sell out pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, again, we try and create a really good atmosphere because essentially we want people to come, yes, you know, learn the repertoire or work on their technique and stuff, but essentially have a really good time, oh, yeah. you know, come into these amazing dance spaces and have a great time with us. Is it like professional adults or is it just like Bob from the street who wants... It's usually just Bob from the street. Oh, that's amazing. But they love it. And oh. that is so inspiring for us. Um, that is so amazing. It is, no, honestly. Kathy wants to go. It really, please come and join us. Oh, it wow. really is amazing. We run them in Leeds in London. It's called the Valley Retreat. Valley and Retreat. Um, it is, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing two, three days. Oh my yeah. I'm literally getting teary. That sounds just oh amazing. God. They are inspiring. We always have a bit of a sort of showing at the end where they share it with each other. And let me tell you, to, to sit and just see people who are so passionate about an art form, you know, maybe they go to the ballet a lot and watch it, but now they're actually doing it. Some of them are insane, like amazing at ballet. You're just like, what? wow, you know? Um, and they all just love it. It's, for us, it's super inspiring. That's amazing. What needs to change to create a better and supportive ballet world, you know, for everyone, for male ballet dancers across the board? So I think we are heading in the right direction, that's for sure, you know? As we've said several times throughout this um mental health is becoming a lot more important for everyone and we're realising how sort of central it is to peak performance and in general people's health and well-being Um, so it can only be positive that we continue to discuss it 
mm-hmm. and that we embrace a culture whereby there is no taboo around asking for help. There is no sort of, oh, she's gone and, you know, she's seeing a psycho, whatever, he's seeing a psycho. No. If someone needs help, they should feel comfortable about reaching out and getting it. And being comfortable in the knowledge that we've all been there, you know. I've been there. Several of my colleagues have been there. Sometimes you just need to reach out and get that help. So let's make sure that people feel comfortable enough to do that. I think that's that's what we can do. And that's what you guys are doing so beautifully with this podcast. Seriously, amazing. Final question. Okay. Could you walk into a room today and say, I'm having a bad mental health day? Absolutely. Yay! Woohoo! Absolutely. Fantastic. So we always finish with a finish the sentence game. Oh, God. Yeah. Really Not quickly. So, the first thing I do in the morning is. Check my iPhone. <laughs> if I could write a letter to my younger self, I'd say. Keep calm and carry on. Yes. <laughs> My favourite ballet move is... Pirouette, obviously. (laughs) How many can you do? On a good day, five. Yes, go on. (laughs) In the future, I want to... Become an artistic director or arts management. Oh, you will. Absolutely. Mental health to me is... Super important. My not-so-guilty pleasure is... Oh my goodness, ice cream. Yes, what flavour? <laughs> Salted caramel, hagen's ass. Fuck it up, bougie. Today I'm grateful for... I mean, performing on the Royal Opera House stage. Wow. Amazing. I am fabulous because... <sighs> I am fabulous because I'm Scottish. Yes! yes! I love it. Gavin, thank you so, so much for coming Ladies, to thank you. I have super enjoyed that. And seriously, congratulations to both of you. This is awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Industry Minds. If you're interested in our counselling services, please email mary at industryminds.co.uk. For all other inquiries, please email info at industryminds.co.uk. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media at industrymindsuk. You can find out about all our future guests and our future events on there. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye. Catch you after. (laughs) I love it. I love it.